And now it's time for The Way of Love Live. It's The Way of Love Live. The variety show committed to bringing you positive stories and life-affirming messages. Combined with enough inspirational music and satirical comedy to make it worth everyone's while. With informative interviews and dynamic guests, we present the best of what our global community has to offer. In a format we lovingly call short attention span theater, we combine vaudevillian styles with futuristic sound effects technology for maximum entertainment value. Together we focus on the most important issues of the day by exploring informed and enlightened approaches wherever we can find them. Using serialized fiction, we bring to life great stories from the past and sci-fi possibilities of the future. Thank you for joining us in our multimedia foray into the positive possibilities of our planet. Hang on, you never know what to expect. Here we go. It's, it's the, the Way, Way of, of Love, Love Live! Today, we are exploring how India affected rock and roll. How India started off so much of the cultural transformation. Today, this is MC Hager. It is the Way of Love Live. And this is Ravi Shankar opening the Monterey Pop Festival in 1967. A lot of people may or may not have known that Ravi Shankar, in fact, opened that very special landmark cultural and world-shifting concert at Monterey Pop, but he did. And not only that, but we'll be coming upon the truth that maybe people don't know either, that Woodstock, Woodstock, the festival that for so many people started the big festival rock and roll scenario, started with a dedication by Swami Sachidananda, and we're going to be hearing that in a second. As my background sound for all of my presentation today, we're gonna be, we're gonna keep coming back to the sound of Ravi at the Monterey Pop because all these people came listening, hoping, and knowing that rock and roll was the theme of the day and they sat down and they had their minds blown by a man with a sitar and a small band around him. Almost everyone, it was the beginning of their ex exposure to Indian culture, to Indian music. And what people don't know is that yoga had been permeating and percolating into the rock and roll philosophy for many years. Did all of you know that Elvis was a follower of Swami Yogananda and his famous autobiography of a yogi. Yes, he was in fact often seen between takes on various movies reading this and he was a big religious follower of many books but he in fact chose this one to be one of his main focuses. And so yes, goes all the way back to the king and of course we know about the Beatles and we know about George Harrison and his following of the sitar and the sound and we're going to be listening to some Beatles. But I'll tell you folks, it goes all the way through wherever you are, wherever you learned about rock and roll. There was this sound and this deep presence. Now we're going to go further. We have a special presentation to, for you. A spoken word interpretation of the Yoga Sutra. 
which will include the music of my good friend Ashwin Batish. That's right, sitar power will be behind me. And now it is a very American thing. One of the things we have to understand, this is... This, these are, um, this is American and British music. This is, I'm not playing many of the Raja Rock, many rock bands from India. We're playing to what happened. We're talking about what happened when they came to the West and how it changed sound and how it changed music and how it changed our hearts and changed our souls. And so now, I would like you to listening, to listen to the very opening of Woodstock from Swami Satchidananda. These were the first words heard echoing over that huge crowd in Woodstock, New York that day. America leads the whole world in several ways. Very recently when I was in the East, the grandson of Mahatma Gandhi met me and asked me what's happening in America. And I said, America is becoming a whole. America is helping everybody in the material field, but the time has come for America to help the whole world with spirituality also. for America to help the whole world with spirituality also. And you know, from that humble start in Monterey, it kept spreading that sound, that, that, that beautiful sensation of higher consciousness permeating through music. And who better to describe how it changed things in Monterey than Eric Burden in The Animals with the sitar telling us what he experienced in Monterey and how this consciousness just seemed to pervade the crowd and then spread out across the whole country. Eric Burden and The Animals. Oh, 
Lavish and Gnaw's music made me cry The hoop exploded into fire and light You Masugela's music was black as night The Grateful Dead His Majesty Prince Jones smile as he moved them up the ground. Ten thousand electric guitars were grooving real loud. Yeah. You wanna find the truth in life? Don't pass music by. And you know I would not lie. No, I would not lie No, I would not lie Down in Monterey on some songs that talked about the spirit and understanding that was starting to penetrate. And so there was another song that came on by John Lennon, John Lennon, the Revolver album, and this was originally going to be called Tomorrow Never Comes, but he decided, no, that, that wasn't clever enough, that's not what he meant, and you know, tomorrow, we don't know what comes tomorrow, Tomorrow Never Knows by the Beatles. Thank you. 
going back to the end of the beginning or the beginning of the end or just the beginning of the beginning. This is the special piece that I've been promising all of you. This is an original spoken word piece and it is by myself and my goodwin Ashwin Batish who plays the songs Alaap and Gat in Ektal and Raja Pahadi Two of his early known special. This man is the originator of sitar power, and he's now recuperating from some back problems, but he's going to be on this show, and we're going to be featuring some great stuff for you. But now, the Yoga Sutra, that's where it started. Now, a lot of people think yoga is about strange postures and whatnot, but actually, yoga is a universal science for divine contact. And the Yoga Sutra, written by Patanjali, approximately 200 BC, although we don't know for sure, was a very simple and direct for people of any belief system, any religion, to find the true depth connection within yourself to divinity and how to transcend all of the difficulties and sufferings in everyday life and reach that point of integration, which is in this interpretation the discussion of Samadhi or enlightenment. And so this is an American creation. This is my creation. I took together several different uh, uh, in interpretations and, and translations of the Sutra, uh, Yoga Sutra. And I, of course, put uh, Aswin Batishes, who is, is an American of Indian descent. And so this is kind of the nature of it, folks. This tells you where it began, the consciousness. This is the very beginning of yogic thought, and it is the eight-limbed path. And you're going to hear about all of those in this very special. It's long, so settle in. It's a half hour. And I'm going to be posting this so you can have it as a meditational aid at www.itsthewayoflove.podbean.com. And it'll be there for you to enjoy it. I give this to everyone freely. This is a spectacular text, folks. This tells about the attainment of peace, enlightenment, and superpowers. Yes, real superpowers, folks. It's all in there. So sit back, enjoy, and find the path that leads for all of us to our highest potential in the Yoga Sutras. Now, the teachings of yoga. Yoga is to still the patterning of consciousness. Then pure awareness can abide in its very nature. Otherwise, awareness takes itself to be the patterns of consciousness. There are five types of patterns, including both hurtful and benign. They are right perception, misperception, conceptualization, deep sleep, and remembering. Right perception arises from direct observation, inference, or the words of others. Misperception is false knowledge, not based on what actually is. Conceptualization is based on linguistic knowledge, not contacts with real things. Deep sleep is a pattern grounded in the perception of nothing. Remembering is the retention of experiences. Both practice and non-reaction are required to still the patterning of consciousness. Practice is the sustained effort to rest in that stillness. This practice becomes firmly rooted when it is cultivated skillfully and continuously for a long time.
As for non-reaction, one can recognize that it has been fully achieved when no attachment arises in regard to anything at all, whether perceived directly or learned. When the ultimate level of non-reaction has been reached, pure awareness can clearly see itself as independent from the fundamental qualities of the physical universe. At first, the stilling process is accompanied by four kinds of cognition, analytical thinking, insight, bliss, and feeling like a self. Later, after one practices steadily to bring all thought to a standstill, these four kinds of cognition fall away, leaving only a store of latent karmic impressions in the depth memory. These latent karmic impressions incline one to be reborn after one leaves the body at death and is released temporarily into nature. For all others, faith, energy, mindfulness, integration, and wisdom form the path to realization. For those who seek liberation wholeheartedly, realization is near. How near depends on whether the practice is mild, moderate, or intense. Realization may also come if one is oriented towards the ideal of pure awareness, God, or Isvara. Isvara is a distinct, incorruptible form of pure awareness, utterly independent of cause and effect, and lacking any store of latent impressions. Its independence makes this awareness an incomparable source of omniscience. Existing beyond time, Ishvara was also the ideal of the ancients. Ishvara is represented by a sound. Through repetition, its meaning becomes clear. Then interiorization develops and obstacles fall away. Sickness, apathy, doubt, carelessness, laziness, sexual promiscuity, delusion, lack of progress, and inconstancy are all distractions that, by stirring up consciousness, act as agitators to stillness. When they do, one may experience distress, depression, or the inability to maintain steadiness of posture or breathing. One can subdue these distractions by working with any one of the following principles of practice. Consciousness settles as one radiates friendliness, compassion, delight, and equanimity towards all things, whether pleasant or painful, good or bad, or by pausing after breath flows in or out, or by steadily observing as new sensations materialize, or when experiencing thoughts that are luminous and free of sorrow, or by focusing on things that do not bind attachment, or by reflecting on insights called from sleep and dreaming, or through meditative absorption in any desired subject. One can become fully absorbed in any subject, whether vast or infinitesimal. As the patterning of consciousness subsides, a transparent way of seeing, called coalescence, saturates consciousness. Like a jewel or a pool, it reflects equally what lies before it, whether subject, object, or act of perceiving. So long as conceptual or linguistic knowledge pervades this transparency, 
It is called coalescence with thought. At the next stage, called coalescence beyond thought, subjects cease to be colored by memory, now formless, only their essential nature shines forth. In the same way, coalesced contemplation of subtle subjects is described as reflective or reflection-free. Subtle subjects can be traced back to their origin in undifferentiated nature. These four kinds of coalesced contemplation, with thought, beyond thought, reflective, and reflection-free, are called integration that still bears karmic seeds of latent impressions. In the lucidity of coalesced reflection-free contemplation, the nature of the self becomes clear. The wisdom that arises in that lucidity is unerring. Unlike insights acquired through inference or teachings, this wisdom has as its object the actual distinction between pure awareness and consciousness. It generates latent impressions that prevent the activation of other impressions. When even these cease to arise and the patterning of consciousness is completely stilled, integration bears no further karmic seeds. Yogic action has three components, discipline, self-study, and orientation towards the ideal of pure awareness. Its purposes are to disarm the causes of suffering and achieve integration. The causes of suffering are not seeing things as they are. The obsession with me, attachment, aversion, clutching at existence, not seeing things as they are is the field where the other causes of sufferings germinate, whether dormant, activated, intercepted, or weakened. Lacking this wisdom, one mistakes that which is impermanent, impure, distressing, or fake self for permanence, purity, happiness, and true self. The obsession with me ascribes selfhood to false consciousness by identifying with the senses. Attachment is a residue of pleasant experience. Aversion is a residue of suffering. Clutching at existence is extinctive and self-perpetuating even for the wise. In their subtle form, these causes of suffering are subdued by seeing where they come from. In their gross form, as patterns of consciousness, they are subdued through meditative absorption. The causes of suffering are the root source of actions. Each action deposits latent impressions deep in the mind to be activated and experienced later in this birth or lie hidden awaiting a future birth. So long as this root source exists, its contents will ripen into a birth, a life, and a death. This life will be marked by delight or anguish in proportion to those good or bad actions that created its store of latent impressions. The wise see suffering in all experience, whether from the anguish of the fleeting nature of pleasant experiences, or from the latent impressions laden with suffering from bad actions, or from the incessant tension as the various good and bad qualities of nature vie for ascendancy, but suffering that has not yet arisen can be prevented. 
the preventable cause of all this suffering is the apparent indivisibility of pure awareness and what it regards. What awareness regards, namely the phenomenal world, embodies the qualities of luminosity, activity, and inertia. It includes one physical self, composed of both elements and the senses, and it is the ground for both sensual experience and liberation. All orders of physical being, undifferentiated, differentiated, indistinct, distinct, are manifestations of the fundamental qualities of nature. Pure awareness is just seeing itself. Although pure, it only appears to be dependent upon the physical senses. In essence, the phenomenal world exists to reveal this truth. Once that happens, the phenomenal world no longer binds awareness in the same way, though it continues to exist as a common reality for everyone else. It is by virtue of the false indivisibility of awareness and the phenomenal world that the outer world seems to possess the significance of pure awareness. Not seeing things as they are is the cause of this mistaken assumption. With realization, the appearance of indivisibility vanishes, revealing that awareness is free and untouched by outer phenomena. The apparent indivisibility of seeing and the seen can be eradicated by cultivating uninterrupted discrimination between awareness and what it regards. At the ultimate level of discrimination, wisdom extends to all aspects of nature. When the components of yoga are practiced, impurities dwindle, then the light of understanding can shine forth, illuminating the way to discriminative awareness. The main components of yoga are external discipline, internal discipline, posture, breath regulation, concentration, meditative absorption, and integration. The five external disciplines are not harming, truthfulness, not stealing, monogamy, and not being greedy. These universals, transcending birth, place, era, or circumstance, constitute the great vow of yoga. The five internal disciplines are bodily purification, contentment, intense discipline, self-study, and dedication to the ideals of yoga. Unwholesome thoughts can be neutralized by cultivating wholesome ones. We ourselves may act upon unwholesome thoughts, such as wanting to harm someone, or we may cause or condone them in others. Unwholesome thoughts may arise from greed, anger, or delusion. They may be mild, moderate, or extreme, but they never cease to ripen into ignorance and suffering. This is why one must cultivate wholesome thoughts. Being firmly grounded in non-violence creates an atmosphere in which others can let go of their hostility. For those grounded in truthfulness, every action and its consequences are imbued with truth. For those who have no inclination to steal, the truly precious is at hand. The monogamous acquire vitality. Freedom from greed unlocks the real purpose of existence. With bodily purification, one's body ceases to be limiting, 
Likewise, contact with others is spiritualized. Purification also brings about clarity, happiness, concentration, mastery of the senses, and capacity for self-awareness. Contentment brings unsurpassed joy. As intense discipline burns up impurities, the body and its senses become supremely refined. Self-study deepens communion with God. Through orientation towards the ideal of pure awareness, one can achieve integration. The postures of meditation should embody steadiness and ease. This occurs as all effort relaxes and coalescence arises, revealing that the body and the infinite universe are indivisible. Then one is no longer disturbed by the play of opposites. With effort relaxing, the flow of inhalation and exhalation can be brought to a standstill. This is called breath regulation. As the movement patterns of each breath, inhalation, exhalation, lull, are observed as to duration, number, and area of focus, breath becomes spacious and subtle. As realization dawns, the distinction between breathing in and out falls away. Then the veil lifts from the mind's luminosity. And the mind is now fit for concentration. When consciousness interiorizes by uncoupling from external objects, the senses do likewise. This is called withdrawal of the senses. Then the senses reside utterly in the service of realization. Concentration locks consciousness on a single subject. In meditative absorption, the entire perceptual flow is aligned with that subject. When only the essential nature of the subject shines forth, as if formless, integration has arisen. Concentration, absorption, and integration regarding a single subject compose the perfect discipline of consciousness. Once the perfect discipline of consciousness is mastered, wisdom dawns. Perfect discipline is mastered in stages. These three components, concentration, absorption, and integration, are more interiorized than the preceding five. Even these three are external to integration that bears no karmic seeds. The transformation towards total stillness occurs as new latent impressions fostering cessation arise to prevent the activation of distractive stored ones and moments of stillness begin to become the consciousness. These new latent impressions help consciousness flow from one tranquil moment to the next. Consciousness is transformed towards integration as distractions dwindle and focus arises. In other words, Consciousness is transformed towards focus as continuity develops between arising and subsiding perceptions. Consciousness evolves along the same three lines, forms, time span, and condition, as the elements and the senses. Awareness is unchanged, whether before, during, or after it accepts a given form in consciousness. These transformations appear to unfold the way they do because consciousness is a succession of distinct patterns. Observing these three axes of change,
form, time spend, and condition with perfect discipline yields insight into the past and future. Word, meaning, and perception tend to get lumped together, each confused with the others. Focus on the distinctions between them with perfect discipline yields insight into the language of all beings. Directly observing latent karmic impressions with perfect discipline yields insight into previous lives. Focusing with perfect discipline on the perception of another yields insight into that person's consciousness. But not insight regarding the truth of those perceptions since the object itself is not actually present in that person's consciousness. When the body's form is observed with perfect discipline, it becomes transparent. The eye is disengaged from incoming light and the power to limit perception is suspended. Likewise, through perfect discipline, other filters such as sound, smell, taste, and touch can be made to clarify. The effects of action may be immediate or slow in coming Observing one's actions with perfect discipline or studying omens yields insight into death. Focusing with perfect discipline on friendliness, compassion, delight, and equanimity, one is imbued with their energies. Focusing with perfect discipline on the powers of an elephant or other entities, one acquires those powers. Being absorbed in the play of the mind's luminosity yields insight about the secret, hidden, and the distant. Focusing with perfect discipline on the sun yields insight about the universe. Focusing with perfect discipline on the moon yields insight about the star's positions. Focusing with perfect discipline on the pole star yields insight about the Earth's movements. Focusing with perfect discipline on the navel chakra yields insight about the organization of the body. Focusing with perfect discipline on the throat chakra eradicates hunger and thirst. Focusing with perfect discipline on the spine, one cultivates steadiness. Focusing with perfect discipline on the light in the crown of the head one acquires the perspective of the perfected ones. Or, all these accomplishments may be realized in a flash of spontaneous illumination. Focusing with perfect discipline on the heart, one understands the nature of consciousness. Experience consists of perceptions in which the luminous aspect of the phenomenal world is mistaken for absolutely pure awareness. Focusing with perfect discipline on the different properties of each yields insight into the nature of pure awareness. Following this insight, the senses, hearing, feeling, seeing, tasting, smelling, may suddenly be enhanced. These sensory gifts may feel like attainments, but they may distract one from integration and liberation. By relaxing one's attachment to the body and becoming profoundly sensitive to its currents, consciousness can enter another's body. By mastering the flow of energy in the head and neck, one can walk on water, mud, thorns, and other obstacles without touching down, but rather floating over them. 
By mastering the flow of energy through the solar plexus, one becomes radiant. By focusing with perfect discipline on the way sound travels through the ether, one acquires divine hearing. By focusing with perfect discipline on the body's relationship to the ether and developing coalesced contemplation on the lightness of clouds, one can travel through space. When consciousness completely disengages from externals, the great disembodiment, then the veil lifts from the mind's luminosity. By observing the aspects of matter, gross, subtle, intrinsic, relational, purposive, with perfect discipline, one masters the elements. Then extraordinary faculties appear, including the power to shrink to the size of an atom as the body attains perfection, transcending physical law. This perfection includes beauty, grace, strength, and the firmness of a diamond. By observing the various aspects of the sense organs, their processes of perception, intrinsic natures, identification as self, interconnectedness, and purposes with perfect discipline, one masters them. Then, free from the constraints of their organs, the senses perceive with the quickness of the mind, no longer in the sway of the phenomenal world. Once one just sees the distinction between pure awareness and the luminous aspect of the phenomenal world, all conditions are known and mastered. When one is unattached even to this omniscience and mastery, the seeds of suffering wither and awareness knows it stands supreme. Even if the exalted angels beckon, one must avoid attachment and pride, or suffering will recur. Focusing with perfect discipline on the succession of moments in time yields insight born of discrimination. This insight allows one to tell things apart that, through similarities of origin, feature, or position, had seemed continuous. In this way, discriminative insight deconstructs all of the phenomenal world's objects and conditions, setting them apart from pure awareness. Once the luminosity and transparency of consciousness have become as calm as pure awareness, they can reflect the freedom of awareness back to itself. The attainments brought about by integration may also arise at birth through the use of herbs or from intonations or through austerity. Being delivered into a new form comes about when natural forces overflow. The transformation into this form or that is not driven by the causes proximate to it, just oriented by them, the way a farmer diverts a stream for irrigation. Feeling isolated as a self is the frame that orients consciousness towards separation. A succession of consciousnesses generating a vast array of distinctive perception appears to consolidate into one individual consciousness. Once consciousness is fixed in meditative absorption, it no longer contributes to the store of latent karmic impressions. The actions of a realized yogi transcend good and evil, whereas the actions of others may be good or evil or both. Each action comes to fruition by coloring latent impressions according to its quality, good, evil, or both. Because the depth memory and its latent impressions are of a piece, 
Their dynamic of cause and effect flows uninterruptedly across the demarcations of birth, place, and time. They persist because the tendency to identify with the senses persists. Since the cause-effect basis and object of a sensual perception are inseparable, a latent impression disappears when any of these disappear. The past and future are imminent in an object, existing as different sectors in the same flow of experiential forms. The characteristics of these sectors, whether manifest or subtle, are imparted by the fundamental qualities of nature. Their transformations tend to blur together, imbuing each new object with a quality of substantiality. People perceive the same object differently as each person's perception follows a separate path from another's. But the object is not dependent on either of those perceptions. An object is known only by a consciousness it has colored, otherwise it is not known. Patterns of consciousness are always observed by pure awareness, their ultimate unchanging witness. Consciousness is seen not by its own light, but by the light of awareness. Furthermore, consciousness and its object cannot be perceived at once. If consciousness were perceived by itself instead of by awareness, the chain of such perceptions would regress infinitely, imploding memory. Once it is stilled, though, consciousness comes to resemble unchanging awareness and can reflect itself being perceived. Then consciousness can be colored by both awareness and the phenomenal world, thereby fulfilling all its purposes. Even when colored by countless latent traits, consciousness, like all compound phenomena, has one purpose, to serve awareness. As soon as one can distinguish between consciousness and awareness, binding of the self ceases. Consciousness, now oriented to this distinction, can gravitate towards freedom. The fully integrated knowledge that awareness is independent of the phenomenal world. Any gaps in discriminating awareness allow distracting thoughts to emerge from the store of latent impressions. These distractions can be subdued, as the causes of suffering were, by tracing them back to their origin, or through meditative absorption. One who regards even the most exalted states in a detached manner, discriminating continuously between pure awareness and the phenomenal world, enters the final stage of integration, in which this world is seen to be a cloud of distinct experiential forms. This realization extinguishes both the causes of suffering and the cycle of cause and effect. Once all the layers and imperfections concealing truth have been washed away, insight is boundless, with little left to know. Then the seamless flow of reality, its transformations colored by fundamental misperceptions, begins to break down, fulfilling the true mission of consciousness. One can see that the flow is actually a series of discrete events, each corresponding to the merest instant of time in which one form becomes another. Freedom is at hand when the phenomenal qualities of the world, each of their transformation witnessed at the moment of its inception, 
are recognized as irrelevant to pure awareness. It stands supreme, grounded in its very nature, the power of pure seeing. That is all. is all folks that is the yoga sutra that's the beginning of it all thank you for listening to it i know that seemed a little long but it was only a half hour and you can listen to it again at www.itsthewayoflove.podbean.com now we're just going to rock out because you know this is about that is the consciousness that started to pervade music even hard rock folks and what would be harder than a big black mountain how about black mountainside by Led Zeppelin. the UK and the United States by storm and then it flew across the universe. Now I promised you more Beatles so here is one of the key influenced pieces of work by John Lennon across the universe.
so much I wasn't able to play on this week. Maybe I'll come back to this sometime, but the Indian cultural essence affected so much Western music, and I had examples from the Moody Blues with Ohm, and I'm going to be playing that next, and we had we had Jimi Hendrix, Bold as Love, The Birds, Eight Miles High, we had the Rolling Stones, Paint It Black, Traffic, Paper Sun, Donovan, Sunshine Superman. I'm going to try to get to some of these folks in the time remaining, but I just wanted to say thank you so much for tuning in to It's a Way of Love Live. This is MC Hager here every Sunday from 4 to 5 on KBCZ, Boulder Creek Community Radio, uh, 89.3 FM and at www.kbcc.org. 
So much, so much to listen to, folks, and so much great stuff. This is Ohm, a moody blues song that I think encapsulates a lot of what we've been talking about. And I'm going to play a few more songs after that just to keep the groove going, and I'll be seeing y'all next week. This is MC Hager saying, thank you, it's the way of love.
see envy waits behind him Her fiery green gown sneers at the grassy ground Blue are the life-giving waters taken for granted They quietly understand Once happy turquoise armies lay opposite ready But wonder why the fight is on But they're all
Do you remember? 